We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews and the 8th chapter, the book of Hebrews and the 8th chapter. And I'll be reading and then preaching on verses 6 through 13. That's verses 6 through 13 of Hebrews, although our special emphasis this morning will be on verses 6 through 9. Hebrews chapter 8 and beginning in verse 6. Here the writer states, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each other one to his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word preached now. And we would ask for the work of the Holy Spirit that he would be our guide, that he would be our teacher, and that he would show us the meaning of this passage and help us to apply it to our lives in such a way that our thinking is renewed and changed and our behavior is transformed into obedience to your commands. We thank you so much for your work of grace within us and we pray that that work would continue in our lives and that we would continue to grow and eagerly receive your word well, we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Brethren, the superiority of Christ is seen not only in the majesty and the magnificence of his person, but it is also seen in the glory and in the excellence of what he now mediates over. For as we saw last week, Christ now mediates over something that is far greater than the Old Testament priesthood could provide, and something far superior to what the Old Covenant, with its focus on perfect obedience to the law, could possibly deliver. 
For now Christ is the mediator and the minister of a new covenant, which is not only more excellent in terms of its substance and power, but also in terms of the promises that it is founded or based upon. In fact, as we read this morning here in verse 6, the ministry that Jesus Christ has obtained is far better than any that existed or that was exercised under the old covenant because it is enacted, it is grounded, it is established on better promises. And as we saw last week, these better promises are not only centered in Christ as a better high priest, but on the nature of the gospel over the works of the law. For under the old covenant, the central message was this. Do this and you will live. Although no man or woman could keep the law of God perfectly. And yet under the glorious gospel, the message is different. The message under the gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in what Christ has done and you shall receive eternal life. For under the new covenant, the assurance and blessings of life are not predicated on our obedience or our ability to keep God's law perfectly, but it's predicated upon the exercise of saving faith in what Christ has done, which is in itself a gift from God to us. And therefore, the new covenant that Christ has been given, the new covenant over which Christ now exercises his better ministry, has superseded what once existed and operated under the old. For what operated under the old covenant, which the writer refers to here in verses 7 and 8, as the first covenant was faulty. It was incapable of providing the blessings of salvation which could only be mediated by Christ under the gospel. And it gave rise to the need for a better covenant which only Jesus Christ as our risen and ascended Lord could properly administer. And so as the writer states here in verse 7, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion or no need to look for a second because the people would have been perfectly obedient. They would have possessed a perfect standing under the law, and yet we know that did not happen. For the old covenant could not produce a sinless people. It could not produce a sinless people, and the law of God which has no power to produce spiritual life, only condemned those who failed to obey it. And therefore, as the writer of this letter states here in the beginning of verse 8, he found fault with them. He found fault with the people. Or in other words, as the people of God were seen through the lens of the old covenant they were not without fault before God. There was an occasion for, there was a pressing and urgent need for a new and better covenant under the headship of Jesus Christ. For only Christ as the one who has been sent by God the Father, only Christ as the one mediator who had already accomplished the work of redemption 
was qualified to initiate and administer this covenant on behalf of God's people. No one else possessed that ability. And yet we might ask this morning, what is the nature, the true nature of this new covenant that Christ is now the mediator of? How is it different from the old covenant that God's people once lived under? How is the new covenant better, not only in terms of its content, excuse me, but also in terms of its application, in terms of its assurances to the people of God? Well, these are questions that the writer of this letter now attempts to answer here in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. And he does so by simply citing what the prophet Jeremiah had already proclaimed by the Holy Spirit on behalf of the Lord back in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. We're back in Jeremiah 31. The Lord described through the ministry of Jeremiah a coming age when the spiritual mourning of captive Israel would be turned away and replaced by inexpressible joy. For not only would the people be delivered from their physical captivity, but even more importantly, the people would live under the superiority of a new and better covenant. For under the administration of the old covenant, the people have been brought low under the knowledge of their many sins. And not only had they experienced the pain and the oppression of physical captivity, but they had also experienced the guilt and the bondage that comes with being under the condemnation of God's holy law. Therefore, Jeremiah's message, which is repeated here, as I stated in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, emphasized the radical, liberating nature of the new covenant to come. The radical, liberating nature of the new covenant to come, a covenant that would supersede and replace the old covenant, making the old covenant absolutely and entirely obsolete, a covenant that would bring joy through the spirit as opposed to condemnation under the law. That's what God's people needed, joy through the spirit, not condemnation under the law. And of course, it is to this new and better covenant that the writer of this letter points his audience to, beginning here in verse 8 of our text this morning. For the writer quotes the prophet Jeremiah in saying this, Behold, or listen, look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Israel. Judah. No doubt the writer is asserting here through these truly monumental and astounding words that the coming days that Jeremiah was speaking of as far back as Jeremiah 31 have now powerfully arrived through the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the association. That's the linkage. 
These promises are now fulfilled through the person and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. For now that Christ has come, now that he's accomplished his redemptive work and he is dispensing the spirit of God at will, the days that Israel and Judah long for are finally here. They're here, they're now. And they are not just here for the house of Israel and Judah who are mentioned here in verse 8, but in the context of the gospel, which is for all the nations and in the context of the new covenant, which has replaced the old covenant altogether, these days are here for all of God's people. All of God's people, all the believing Gentiles, as well as the believing Jews, share now in this arrival, according to Hebrews chapter 8, for what Christ is doing as the mediator of a new covenant is not limited to the Jews alone. And so when we read this reference to the houses of Israel and Judah here in verse 8, we should not think that what the writer is addressing is limited to them only. But we should understand that the new covenant extends and now encompasses God's dealings with all the nations. For all of us as believers in Jesus Christ today are members of the new covenant. And now there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. For as the Apostle Paul assured us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ has made Jews and Gentiles one body. They are one in him. He has broken down the wall of hostility that once existed between them. So the good news that we find in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8 is that the days when God established the new covenant came with Christ. In fact, we are not waiting for the days of the new covenant to come. For there is still this reality that what Jeremiah spoke of is a reality now. We are not waiting for the days of the new covenant to come, nor is there still a future hope of a new covenant for the Jews. For the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of is now a present reality. And as a present reality, the new covenant that we are now under is different from the old covenant that operated before. How is it different? Well, let's notice several ways that it is different in terms of who it was given to and how it was administered. Who it was given to and how it was administered. First of all, let us recall that the new covenant is given to all of God's people under the gospel. I just said that a few moments ago. All of God's people under the gospel have the new covenant, whereas the old covenant was actually given to God's people after their departure from Egypt. For in speaking of the old covenant, excuse me, in speaking of the new covenant, the writer states here in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 9 that it is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
For as the people came out of slavery in Egypt, they, they needed a covenant with God to guide them and to explain the terms under which God would administer his grace to them. And they were called to recognize the true nature of the covenant that they lived under. And so let's think for a moment, what was the nature of the old covenant according to the writer of Hebrews? And let us notice here in verse 9, he explains to us what the nature of the old covenant was like. Notice here in verse 9 that the nature of the old covenant was not redemptive in nature. The nature of the old covenant was not redemptive in nature. Or in other words, there was no mention of redemption or of a redeemer in the old covenant. Rather, the focus of the old covenant was directed toward leading the people in the right way. The focus of the old covenant was towards repentance and readiness for God's redeemer and readiness for the great redeemer to come, but it was not focused on the redeemer. We're told here in verse 9 that upon leaving the land of Egypt, the fathers actually needed to be led by the hand. Remember that phrase, led by the hand, or in other words, the people under the old covenant needed to be managed by a strong arm. They needed to be led with strict rules and regulations so that they would not go astray, so that they would keep themselves separate and distinct from the pagan peoples around them. And therefore, God gave them a strong administrator in Moses. And God gave them strict rules and regulations to follow under the Mosaic law. And the purpose of the law, yes, of the old covenant itself, was to teach the people the nature of sin. That was the purpose of it. To lead them to a place where they were confronted with their need for redemption. And so the law under the old covenant was, was not a means of salvation for God's people, but it served as a tutor. It served as a schoolmaster, as the Apostle Paul states in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, to show the people their need for Christ, to take them by the hand, as our text states, to prepare them for what would be revealed through Christ. And of course, in saying this this morning, we are, we are not suggesting that men and women could not be saved under the old covenant because many were. But those who were saved were not saved by keeping the law, but they were saved in the same way that people are saved today, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. For in the mercy of God, many were brought to not only see their sin under the old covenant, but to a place of faith in the Redeemer who was to come. But what transpired under the old covenant in terms of redemption was far less clear than what Jesus Christ as the mediator of the new covenant reveals and highlights through the gospel. So first we see that the old covenant was different from the new covenant. For the old covenant was given to Israel following 
the people's deliverance out of Egypt, and it was limited in its redemptive emphasis. It was limited in its redemptive scope. And then secondly, we see here in verse 9 of Hebrews 8 that the old covenant was different than the new covenant because the old covenant could be broken. The old covenant could be broken and was repeatedly broken, whereas the new covenant cannot be. The old covenant could be broken and repeatedly was, whereas the new covenant cannot be. How do we know that the old covenant could be broken? Well, we know this because of what the writer of the letter here states in verse 9 concerning the people of God under the old covenant. And that is, notice this, they did not continue in God's covenant. But rather, again and again, throughout the history of Israel, before the coming of the gospel, the people of God repeatedly broke and violated their covenant obligations before God. They continually suffered the consequences of this rebellion. In fact, much of the hardship and the sadness and the grief that Israel encountered through her history, whether it was in her wilderness wanderings or during times of captivity, was the direct result of her waywardness, her waywardness from her covenant obligations, her unwillingness to keep her covenant agreements in terms of her faithfulness and her obedience to God and to his law. And no doubt the primary reason for this is that the people of God were without the power to keep God's law. For as long as their obedience, as long as their confidence was grounded in the law and in their ability to keep the law perfectly, they were doomed to failure. Doomed to failure. For the law of God had the power to slay the people, not to save the people. The law of God had the power to reveal the presence of their sin, but the law of God did not have the power to give life, did not have the power to empower the people to obey God's law consistently and perfectly. And so under the dominion of the old covenant, the people of God were under an endless cycle of failure and condemnation. Failure and condemnation. Again and again, they would strive under their own efforts to please God and to maintain or to gain his favor. And yet their sinfulness was such that they repeatedly broke and violated their covenant duties and commitments that they claimed to have a love and loyalty for. And no doubt God permitted this seemingly endless cycle as a means of preparing the people for Christ and for the gospel, for Christ and for the blessings of the new covenant. For as we'll see next Sunday, Lord willing, one blessing that comes to believers under the new covenant is that this cycle comes to an end in Jesus Christ. It comes to an end. Christ is the end of our striving under the condemnation of the law. It's the end of our striving to gain acceptance with God through the works of the law. Because Christ met the conditions of the law for us. And now we rest 
in his righteousness. Now we rest in his perfect obedience to the law for us. We are now clothed in his perfections. Then thirdly, we see here in verse 9 as well that the old covenant was faulty, unlike the new covenant, because the people's violations of it often resulted in a loss of God's immediate and temporal blessings. Often resulted in a loss of God's immediate and temporal blessings. For notice what the writer states here at the end of verse 9. Interesting statement. Alarming statement in some respects. That when the people ignored and disregarded their covenant obligations, God likewise disregarded them as well. Notice that. He likewise disregarded them as well. For we read here in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 8, So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For under the guidelines of the old covenant, God's dealings with his own people were conditional. In fact, God made it clear to his people, as he did here in verse 9, that their spiritual welfare and vitality were conditioned upon their own obedience. And this was not good news. This was not good news. For no man wants to be treated by God in the way that he truly deserves, right? Do you want to be treated by God in the way that you truly deserve? No, not at all. And especially if we know that we are guilty sinners, especially if we know that we're covenant breakers. And yet under the old covenant, God dealt with sinners under these terms. And as a result, there were no assurances under the old covenant as to whether the people of God would enjoy the favor of God or not. No assurances. In fact, everything was conditioned upon how faithful the nation was to its covenant obligations before God. And so often, Israel was not faithful, as you know. And the people, therefore, were without assurances as to when the favor and pleasure of God would return to them. There's this sense throughout the entire Old Testament where they're certainly unsure whether they have God's favor with them or not, because it's conditioned upon their obedience. It was dependent upon the obedience of fallen and guilty sinners. What a way to live. So under the old covenant, fear and uncertainty were not uncommon. Fear and uncertainty were not uncommon. The people would often wonder in their hearts, will God be for us today. In fact, you recall that many times before Israel would go into battle, they would seek to know, is God going to be with us today or is God not going to be with us today? There was that continual tension all the time. Will God disregard our cries for help because of our covenantal disloyalty and our unfaithfulness to him? Or will we have his help today? What a dilemma. There were actually times under the old covenant, as the end of Hebrews 8, 9 indicates, when God seemingly showed little or no concern for his people. 
Imagine that. We, we don't live under that. But they did live under that. They lost critical battles. And in worst case situations, they were carried off into bondage or captivity to other nations. Because once again, the old covenant was not a time characterized by widespread grace and mercy. It was a, a time of discovery. It was a time of preparation. It was a time of learning the harsh realities of sin. That's one of the main themes of the Old Testament. Learning the harsh reality of sin. Learning the need for repentance and obedience. In fact, for those who were seeking assurance and spiritual peace, life under the Old Covenant was an ordeal. It really was. It was an ordeal. And yet the good news here in Hebrews chapter 8 is that the new covenant is not like the old covenant. In all the ways that I just explained, for under the new covenant, the love and concern of God for us as his people through Jesus Christ is never in question, nor is it conditional. In fact, under the new covenant, which is founded upon a better person and a, a better work, the work of Jesus Christ, we never find a single passage that states, I will show no concern for you, declares the Lord. You won't find that under the new covenant. We are reading about that under the old covenant here in this passage in Hebrews chapter 8, Jeremiah 31, but rather we find comforting and reassuring passages under the new covenant, don't we? Passages like Romans 8, 37 through 39. In all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For we are sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers or height or depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us in any sense from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God's love for us is not conditioned upon our law keeping. It's not conditioned upon our obedience, but rather we can be confident of God's love because we are in Jesus Christ, God's beloved one. And because the strength of that love, which keeps us in God's favor, is not our strength. Not even our obedience. It is the strength and obedience of Jesus Christ himself who first loved us, who gave himself for us, for his love, not our obedience to the law assures us that we now have God's favor. For under the new covenant we are not being led by the hand to be confronted with our own sin and guilt. We are not being reminded continually of where we fail and where we stumble. We are not threatened with the loss of God's favor. We are already and always safe in the loving hands of the Father. We are forever blessed, accepted, and always in his favor. That's the message of the new covenant. May this knowledge that we as believers in Christ are now living under the new and better covenant be a great source and encouragement to us as we follow 
the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the differences between the old and the new. May God impress upon us this morning how blessed and privileged we are to no longer live under the old. To no longer live in fear and uncertainty. To no longer wonder day by day whether we will have God's favor. May God continue to reveal his will and the extent of his great mercy to us as we consider and we'll, we'll do so, Lord willing, next week further the blessings that come to us under the new covenant and the nature of the new covenant and our benefits under it. May God show us not only the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the beauty of the covenant that he administers as well. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this message today, for this message found in Hebrews chapter 8. And we would ask your Lord that as we hear these words, that we would find great comfort and joy in knowing that the old covenant that existed in the past, which led your people by the hand, which was focused upon law-keeping and obedience, has been done away with. It has now been removed. It is now obsolete. It has now been replaced by an even greater covenant, a covenant made based on greater promises, a covenant made based upon a greater high priest and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would ask, dear Lord, that we would focus upon that today and in the week to come, and that we would draw great strength and encouragement from it. For as we saw last week, the new covenant presents the glories of Christ in a greater way than they've ever been revealed, and now we are learning more as to why this covenant is so important and why this covenant is an occasion of joy for your people. And if we could just grasp this morning what good news this really is and how it would have sounded to the people of God under the old covenant to hear these kind of promises and how encouraging it would have been for them to look forward to them, to know that they were coming. But what a great privilege we have to actually live in the days of its fulfillment. We thank you so much for your mercy and grace towards us. We, we thank you that we are under the new covenant. And that under the new covenant we can be assured of our acceptance with you through Jesus Christ. So bless us and continue to encourage us as a congregation to reflect upon all that we have in the Lord Jesus and to be encouraged by it. May our joy spill over in our lives and in our witness to the glory of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.